Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report, week commencing 28th of January 2019. What should we start with today? I think we'll start with um, barley, actually. I I asked uh, Ollie what his view of the barley market was, and he said, limp. (laughs) So, um... He expanded a little on that. I I think that malting barley, as we've said previously, is being held up by merchants who are short into the consumers or into the molsters who are pretty well covered. It is a bit of a game of cat and mouse at the moment. Is there too much? Is there not enough barley? Certain grades are certainly short, uh, like the distilling varieties. But the other grades, one or two cargoes that were going to be exported have been traded back. So there is a bit more of the ordinary varieties like Planet or Propino around in the marketplace. So maybe there's a there's a little bit of oversupply. This time of year, it's a little uncertain as to what's true on that. So it's certainly a little, doesn't feel quite so bullish. Feed barley is is one shade lower than limp. Uh, we would currently value feed barley nominally at about 152x, which is a significant drop. It is very hard to find a buyer of that at the moment. So I guess depending on, on the outcome of, uh, of, of Brexit and whether we can export after March, um, that might help. But right now, it doesn't feel very healthy at all. And saying that, historically, £152 a tonne for feed barley is a brilliant price. We'll move straight on to wheat, and I think we'll say everything is currency-influenced at the moment. I would say the currency markets have taken the view that no deal is off the table. I mean, Teresa is saying it's still on the table, but it looks like the world believes that we're going to do some form of deal, which means that we will be able to do some forms of trade. Uh, Whether agriculture is held up in that, I think all of us are sceptical. But um, there you go, we're going to be sold down the river. That's my view. The currency is hammering upwards. It's, it's, you know, it's gone from 110 to 115 in a very short space of time. So we're talking about values. X farm for spot, probably 165, 66. And for May, probably somewhere between 68 and 70, depending on where your farm is and, and, and where the local mill is, if the haulage can be done cheaper. I would say that the, the relationship between futures and physical wheat otherwise known as the basis, has altered to the benefit of farm x farm grain. So the prices being paid above futures price by the consumer has increased because there is a lack of people selling feed wheat from farm. Now, whether that's because they're still not back on the pitch and waiting to, to, to get going again in February, or whether they've got a milling variety that they think is going to be worth a, a good premium that may actually end up being sold as feed. But somewhere along the line, the supply will come from farm. But in the meantime, it is very hard to get your hands on wheat. So sometimes you can you can push people to pay a little bit more money than perhaps their initial bid. Finally, oilseed rape. 
Well, again, currency, currency's the king. Oil markets are firm around um, the crush The crush in Europe. The values are stronger. There's talk or there's uncertainty on the anti-dumping of biofuels from Argentina looking ahead. And if they stop them just being dumped into the European market, that will give European oilseed prices a bit of a boost. The markets are up. However, currency being so firm is pushing us in the opposite direction. So February X Farm 320 for old crop still still up there but looking less likely to go all the way so we're, we're getting a bit nervous of our kind of hoping for 330 but we'll we'll keep hanging on to the side and 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 hope something i don't know what am i hoping for hoping currency crashes i don't know um we, we may be addressing that shortly and harvest 312 um that's 310 312 it's been hanging around there the last 10 days currency isn't helping that anyway it's uh it really does boil down to politics mostly all of this but hey keep trading. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Ben Burgess Crop Storage offer a wide range of equipment from handling, processing and storage of harvested crops. From initial advice on any aspect of crop handling and storage through to design, supply, build and installation of complete intake, drying, dressing and storage plants. The Ben Burgess Aftercare support team includes dedicated technicians who are also on hand to service all crop storage machinery too, so you're always looked after. Visit benburgess.co.uk or search Ben Burgess Crop Storage for more information on how the team can assist you. And now it's time for our feature. Today we're going a little bit international. I've got with me Scott Welcome, who works for Goodmills, who are based in Vienna in Austria. Hello, Scott. Hello, Andrew. Um, so, how come a good old London boy like yourself, Millwall fan, nobody likes you but nobody cares? <laughs> Was that no? It's not nobody. Yeah, likes. no one likes us. We don't care. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, how come you've ended up in uh, in Austria? Well, that's a very good question. I was uh, actually on holiday um, looking for employment, which, as most of you will know, has been quite a regular occurrence for me over the last few years. But I got a phone call that a large European miller was looking for a risk manager and would I be interested to go along for the interview? And they did state that it was in Vienna. So off I went and the rest to say is history. Okay. Is it a little colder over there at the moment? Uh, no, today it's actually milder than here and no snow, so uh, yes. Tell me, uh, Good Mills Limited, I know nothing whatsoever about them because they're not based in the UK, so, so talk me through, what do they do? So Good Mills are a pure and simple wheat miller. They are Europe's largest wheat miller with approximately 2.8 million tonnes of wheat capacity. Okay, so the largest in Europe, 2.8 million tonnes is a fairly hefty crop to buy every year. How many countries are you based in? So we have 25 mills in seven countries, mainly Central and Eastern Europe. Okay, so that would be, what, obviously Austria. Austria. Well, Germany is by far the biggest. That's approximately 45, 50% of the 2.8 million tons. So Germany, Poland, Austria, Czech Republic, then Hungary, Romania and Bulgaria. How is your Bulgarian? Neat. <laughs> is that... Is that the same across the whole of every... Pretty much, Every yes. time you ask the question. <laughs> yes. Neat. And they say, why, nine. why are you talking in <laughs> Russian? <Yeah. clears throat> okay, right. So risk management, that's your, that's your title, isn't it? Yes, risk so, management and grain sourcing. 
Okay, so risk management, what is that then? A little bit of weather and a bit of politics? Uh, yes, that does come under it, it's particularly at the moment with the, with the Brexit deal. Um, but uh, it encompasses everything that creates a risk to the operation of and the financial capabilities of your business. So, so reel a few more off then. So you obviously have price risk management, which is what everybody automatically assumes about uh, risk management. Then you have uh, cash flow risk management. You have cybercrime now, which is a big one, particularly in the areas we operate in. Um, reputation risk. Reputation risk. Reputation risk. Everybody wants to protect their reputation, Andrew. Indeed they do. I mean, you, cash flow management is fairly obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? Cybercrime. Cybercrime, yeah. I mean... We haven't been affected by it, but there's a lot of um, companies, particularly on the derivative side of the business, where people are hacking into your accounts, placing trades that are not yours, taking money from accounts. Um, so it's, Is that not an IT? I mean, you, surely you can't be expected to manage the IT. Aspect. No, but as the risk manager, I have to ensure that each department's risk policy for their, for their respective area is covered. What, what other ones are there? What else have we got? So uh, customer default liability risk. So obviously we're ultimately supplying the food product. Mm-hmm. So we need to ensure that we comply with all up-to-date food standards. Yeah. Um, what are, I mean, a customer default is someone not supplying a contract that's a price advantage or, or, to you. Or, or taking flour as a, as a contract, yes. So we have to uh, ensure that our, our customers are financially able to meet their, their uh, obligations. Blimey. Somewhere down the line, if you were a, a, a consumer of flour or a consumer of wheat, um, there's going to come a moment when supply and demand is the wrong is the wrong side of the line, isn't there? There's you know there's there's more and more food being eaten in the world, and there is actually we're, we're relying on a good harvest every single year now, and we haven't had a terrible or bad harvest for at least five if you take the world as a as a yeah no i mean we europe was obviously lower this year the big issue for us this year was equality yeah um and not from what people would think we had too high a quality wheat in most of our countries this year yeah because of the heat because of the dry yeah so yeah. romania bulgaria had poor quality because they had a lot of rain at harvest but the rest of the countries the wheat was was actually too good so too high protein yeah mm. um and the trouble is that produces very good flour and then each year, the because uh, the bakeries or the end receiver will be expecting the same quality of flour every year, which we cannot guarantee every yeah, year. Yeah, that's 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 um, that gets a little bit like you know you have to you harvests always come along with a with a, a crop that lets you down and you have to adapt. There's a moment when the changeover occurs. There's there's if the if the consumer is deluded enough to not notice mm. what's happened to the weather around them and they think that flour is going to stay the same then in the end they have to they have to accept what comes at them don't they to a certain extent but then there's another side of, of the risk management we do the, the the local mill manager will try to keep some lower grade protein for the course of a season into the next season and and try to blend in to get to the uh, protein mm. levels that is, is optimum for the for the production facility Okay, and if someone came along and said, oh, I want to buy flour for the next five years on the trot, how would you go about trying to source that or, or, or cover the risk of it? Well, at, at the moment, the, the, the first instance, we would uh, look at the futures, um, whether it be with pure standard vanilla futures or with some options or OTCs. Um, then we would try to lock in some supply agreements with farmers. That's that's our big area of focus at the moment, is, is locking in with direct farmers rather than uh, relying on the big traders. 
Okay. So looking at, at the potential for this coming harvest, you must have assessed um, you know, how the European crop looks. What's your opinion? Big crop, little crop? It will be at the moment. It's going to be a bigger crop uh, than this year. I mean, uh, there was some concerns when it was being planted. It was dry, but it seems that most areas have had a decent amount of, of moisture since. It's been so far a mild uh, winter in most parts. So we're expecting a, a crop of around 145 million tons, up from 127 million tons this year. So it's a tr- I mean, it's the best part of 20 million. I've heard this from more than one source, an increase of 20 million tonnes of wheat in Europe this coming season. For production, and we're expecting that this season's carryout will be 2 to 3 million tonnes higher because we, we just don't see the EU meeting the export forecast given the current pace that they're, that they're, they're achieving. So yeah, well, bearing in mind the Russians who are going to allegedly stop exporting, keep exporting, and now they're saying, nah, we were only joking. Yeah. The, the, the big issue for us in some of our countries, particularly Germany and Poland, is where is that wheat? Is it in areas that's easy accessible, or is it in areas where they were expected to ship it on the Rhine or the Danube, but because we had very low river water levels this year, it wasn't able to be moved? So somewhere it's going to have to pay for that to be moved to the places it needs to be. With all that snow you've had in Austria, except in Vienna, there's, the water levels are going to be very high later, aren't they? Yes, and that is another area we're going to have to monitor because at the moment you've had some areas have had four metres of snow mm. um, and that's going to melt and that's going to end up very quickly in the rivers and it's going to play... Overflow the banks in Budapest yes. and, uh, and exactly. Vienna, isn't it? Is your, is, your, is your flat safe from the flood? Uh, yeah, we are far enough away that we don't have those issues, but some people will, some of the farmers, yes. We, we, all, we all read reports from the states from um south america you know which ones do you do you pay for exceptionally good ones or do you actually go out there and visit and say what's going on or you know if you want to see whether the the dry weather in brazil is going to have an impact how do you get your how do you make that assessment okay. yeah we, i mean at the moment we, we we get the two main subscriptions which is uh from australia grand in in europe um, and then we have, like everybody can get the, when it is being published, when the US is not on strike, the uh, the USDA WASDE reports. Mm-hmm. Um, we take them as a basis. Mm-hmm. And then myself and my colleagues who have a number of years experience, uh, we, we speak to our contacts around the world and get their local opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then put it together and come up with our own S&Ds and, and compare and, and trade off of those. So it's, it's a mixture of everything, really. Um, and, and I think experience is, is, is undervalued and, and we have some really good guys in those countries who know their stuff and, 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 and we trust in what they, what they report to us. Yeah, you see, the UK grain trade now relies really heavily on the Doing Grain podcast. And every Monday morning, we set them off in the right way. And I think you'll find profits are just going through the roof. I agree. I listen to them on the way to work. And uh, when you give me the tips on what to do, I uh, automatically check the market, see where we are, and adjust the position accordingly. Go straight in there. Yeah. No, I, I, a lot of people are saying the same thing. I, I'm, I'm quite excited by this prospect. They've finally seen the light. Yes. I can see a George Soros in the, in the making. <laughs> anyway, let's just, just... I want to talk about a, f- a football incident uh, uh, where we actually... Many years ago, when I first set um, Doing Grain up, um, I was trying to get the name of the company all over the place, and, and you were playing in a football tournament in Chicago. And I went, yeah, all right, I'll come and play in that. And uh, so we, we both went and played for the, was it the UK team or the European International team? team. Yeah, international team. In um, And there are two, two or three, there's three things I want to have my little memory of. 
other than the dinner when when I think I sat next to the, the head of the CME and I, I said something very derogatory about American sportsmanship. Mr. Carey. Yeah. But um, no, there was there was the first one I'd like to talk about is the two American guys who thought I was an ex-international footballer. True or false? This unfortunately is true, but we soon corrected them. <laughs> Yeah, it was just uh, obviously what Nobby Styles, did they say? I can't <laughs> yeah, they're going by my dancing, you're right. Um, I was born at the time that that happened, by the way. And um, the next one, I think the best one of all is the... My the, goal? Yeah, your goal. I'd like you to describe your goal. From my perspective? Yes. <laughs> okay. It was a very important game. I think it was a crucial game. And I, if I remember rightly, there wasn't so so long left in the game. It was the Germans. And against the Germans, yeah, which yeah. makes it even more important. And I remember looking up and seeing that England international, Mr Andrew June, with the ball. And I thought, I'm going to make a run and he's going to pick me out here. And lo and behold, I made the run. And it was David Beckhamisk, I would say, the pass you made. Mm-hmm. And I, it came over my head, over my shoulder, and I turned and volleyed it. <laughs> and from where I was standing, it was in the top corner of the net. But uh, somehow people tell me it was different. Right. My, my version, I think the ball, I sort of lumped it forward, get rid of it as quick as I can. And, and the ball balloons up in the air off someone's head or something. And so you, the defender and the goalie all go to the ball. You're in front of those two. And you put your foot out as if to control it. Is that what you think? No, it definitely. <laughs> it hits your foot, trickles past the goalie because he's still expecting it to be in front of you and doesn't realise the ball's actually slipped past him and it rolls into the goal to which everyone goes, oh, brilliant goal, Scott. And you turn around and go, what, what, oh, oh, and stick your hand up and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I come trotting over and said, you tried to control that, didn't you? And you, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, very different memory. It's just a long time ago, as you say. Yeah, I think we're going to, we'll, we'll finish off with, I think, making one or two of you, you guys out there realise just how much risk management you really do. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I think anybody involved in this industry, if you're trading, if you're, if you're a producer, you, you are risk managing your business. If you're a farmer, you, your, your initial one is probably, well, what do I plant this year? Do I plant rapeseed? Do I plant barley? Do I plant wheat? Automatically, it's your first risk management decision because if you plant the wrong crop, and you don't get the returns, then obviously you're going to have a, a cash flow issue. Um, then you need to assess how is your cash flow? Mm. How much money do you have from last year? How much money can you get from the bank? What interest rates are it going to cost you? Mm. You're doing that. How much fertilizer do you do you put into the ground? Um, all these things on a day-to-day basis, the farmer will be doing, and that is all part of risk management. Yeah, I mean, I guess the equipment that you run. Does it work? Yeah. Does, What's does, the maintenance level? Exactly. Does he look to invest in new equipment or does, does, he, does he buy second-hand equipment and maybe it lasts for one year versus a brand-new one lasts for 10 years? Who he, who he sells his wheat to? Has he done a risk assessment on them? I mean, he, he, there's lots of different Where, things. Where's the grain going to go to? That's exactly. A big, that's a big one. If, you, if someone buys wheat off you in, in the UK, they can take it where they like under the contract they trade under. If it can be taken a very long way and there's a problem, it's a very expensive yep. moment. So it? I would say that every farmer, uh, every merchant in, in the UK is doing an element of risk management probably without even knowing he's doing it. So I, th- I think if there's one thing we've, that you've done today, Scott, for loads of my customers, it is giving them the opportunity, if they could just list down all of the risk assessment and all the risk management they're doing unconsciously, and when their wife says to them, or their husband, or their partner, he said politically correctly, 
um, when they say to them, what are you doing? You've got nothing to do in between now and then. Why don't you do this? You can say, no, I've got, and just produce the list. So, guys, you were really busy and you didn't even know it. Exactly. So, Scott, I think you've done, done the world of good for lots of us. Thank you very much for, for flying from Austria just to come and do the Doing Grain podcast. Thank you for having me in uh, Nelson's County. Indeed, yep, you're now in the Hall of Fame. Well done. <laughs> and now it's time for Farm Chat. Right, this week, Scottish Highland Spring, our last dry January drink, mm. Ian. I want to enjoy this one, just... Uh, with the thought we'll be on beer next week, Andrew. Cherish yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the cheapest fizzy drink, that, or fizzy yeah. water I could find in Sainsbury's. Yeah. So, uh, Best bang for your buck. What do you reckon? Sparkling water? It's quite, it's quite, <laughs> I mean, it's quite fizzy, which is a bad sign. It's got to have something bad in it to have all that fizz. Uh, no, it's okay. Tastes like sparkling water to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, I mean, what have we got to chat about? This is going to be slightly controversial. I hope you don't upset anyone here, but... Veganuary, big buzzword this year, isn't it? Very topical. It's apparently become the the main conversation at the Webster family gatherings, which has overtaken no, I, Brexit. Yeah, this actually this wasn't no, so it wasn't my direct friend. Well, it was direct family, but my in-laws mm-hmm. and we were with another part of the family, dairy farmers, and and previously conversations about Brexit and you know yarn yarn yarn. This time, most of the meal was uh, focused on veganism. Well, it's, it's had a very loud voice this month, hasn't it? Huge, yeah. A big vegan movement. Um, and we're in an industry that supplies food for animals to eat, which then in turn get eaten. Exactly. Yeah, very topical to our business. I mean, no, no, let's, let's talk about I mean, some of the facts in a bit. I say facts, this is very difficult to comment on, but I think myself personally, not to, again, upset anyone, but I understand the need to reduce meat for the um, you know sustainability because there's rainforest being flattened for soybean production to feed the cattle but wouldn't I, wouldn't soybeans get flattened to produce soya for the soya milk and the soya products and the tofu and all that stuff that comes from soya for can't disagree there is there is certainly that i mean to give it a balance i, I can appreciate the need to slightly reduce our meat intake i think that's half that's responsible a health, a health issue yeah i, th- I think so Mixed balanced diet and, and consciously... Well, that's how we keep our six-packs, isn't it? Our mixed balanced, balanced exactly. diet. Ripped. Yeah. Slightly, <laughs> slightly out of sync with the uh, with the beer we haven't consumed this month because obviously you know, I've become a bit emaciated. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch, but... Um... <laughs> no, that's my shirt. <laughs> but no, it, it's, it's a really interesting topic and there's an incident at Norwich Cattle Market and there was, unfortunately, an old boy who was, um, sorry, no offence to the old boy, referring to him as old boy, but was driving some sheep out in his, in his, uh, in his trailer and, and uh, there were lobbyists, or I shouldn't call them extremists, but they, they were making life very difficult. Yeah, for that him. wasn't specifically vegans for that. I mean, that, that was about animal welfare and, you know, cows have feelings and they care and all that. But they were, they were actually quite antagonistic and aggressive towards oh, well, the guy. Yeah. And they filmed it yeah. thinking that they'd done themselves a big favour by showing how incredibly caring they were. Yeah. And all they did was show how they really upset. I a, think it's probably a, backfired, guy. actually. That, yeah. Well, because that sort of behaviour, mm. if, you, if you 
do that to somebody else in the end, mm. I guess it's going to start getting people to come back and yeah. do it to you. Yeah. It's not the way forward, is it? Extreme, extreme anything is, is bad. Yeah. But my, my, my stance on it is I, I'm, you know, I, I am a meat eater and yeah. I don't eat that much. I, I, I've, I've cut back over the last few years anyway. But the moral high ground thing, I, I struggle with young people coming out with a whole load of reasons why, you know, meat is bad and, and, and they can reel them off one after the other. And at the same time, you know, you, you have to say, well, what is your diet? And that diet isn't going to be made up of UK produce predominantly, is it? No, 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 of course not. No. I mean, you, you, well... You then, I'm sure you're probably going to reference Air Miles here and mm. the foods and your. It's a classic here. It's uh, your quinoa, or how do you? Is it quinoa? Quinoa, to the mortal, the, the normal working man, but quinoa, so quinoa darling. Yeah, from Chelsea. You've got your quinoa, your avocados, your, your, your vegan diets. There, it's yeah, the, so your, your Air Miles. Let's, let's look at. All right, Air Miles is an issue. Avocados get flown by jumbo jet across this country. So, as an individual avocado, that isn't very much. You could argue, but it. But but there is a very, there is something very wrong with the dynamic of that. Mm. More importantly, local communities cannot afford to eat avocados anymore. The market is such for the extremely fortunate well-fed people yeah. of this country to be able to select any particular fruit they want from anywhere in the world they can afford to pay for it and those communities are going without and if you go on to quinoa then you'll you end up with chilean communities actually struggling to eat struggling to have enough mm. food because it's been taken to extremely high so, paying yeah. vegans yeah i think uh, unfortunately that is um a real issue with the sort of the, the vegan um, well it there. isn't just i mean we i eat quinoa but predominantly your diet if it is a vegan diet has has a, a variance and a number of ingredients mm. that are slightly more exotic than than just rice i guess so consequently you have to be able to if you're going to point a finger at meat producers and meat eaters and say they're mm. in the wrong and stand on a table and and, and wear your white white virginal cloth and say you're all bad is there anything that you have a conscience about yourself and some of the points we've made and i'm sure there are many more the argument for a farmer or a meat producer shouldn't be this is my living stop doing this you're you're in the wrong you're breaking the law i think you should be able to have a list of things that are actually corrupting the planet or using up the the resources in this there is a, a you could suggest there's a pr opportunity for for farmers I mean, to, to have a louder voice, to promote what they do. I mean, there, there was a classic example we came up in this Sunday conversation, but the Open Farm Sunday. I'm not saying that there's a lack of education with the general people, but to open farms up and to show them animal welfare and, and for people to have a better understanding of what they actually do. Well, there's, a, there's been a disassociation with food with the general public for a long yes, period of time. Yes. But that's, you're right, the, you know, our little podcast is going out there and more and more people are listening. Welcome new listeners. But... The reality is we are a voice about agriculture and we're talking about this and it's going out there and it's being discussed and, and, and mostly, be, mostly it will be like-minded people from our industry that are listening to it. But we are a voice and it is probably going to keep growing, we, we think. Yeah. Farmers, you're right, it's a golden PR opportunity. Every terrible moment or every terrible piece of competition that comes in or something that's against you or obstacle becomes your golden opportunity to make your point. But you have to have a voice to do that. And if you go through the relying on the the, the, the national press or the, the TV, to, to, they'll make a point on one day as a feature. Mm. You need to have a constant 
constant, well-listened-to, interesting... Feed of, feed of info and keep pushing it out there. So social media, mm. we need podcasts from farmers. We need... What else? How can they get, how can they get their message out? It's a good question. Social media, I think, is as much PR as, as we can get. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and, you know, the simple things of the Open Farm Sunday, like I mentioned. Mm. It's very and valuable. So uh, this sort of links back to a conversation you had and, and listened to a conversation with Emily Norton and she was mm. talking about the, um, I say, the young generation, uh, my generation, um, <laughs> <laughs> Instagramming, Instagramming their food and uh, whacking on Facebook, whacking on Twitter. And it's, it's promoting food. I mean, the message here f- from us really is, is to encourage young farmers to do the same, to Instagram yeah, what pro- they're doing. Probably on your farm. farmers, not your age. <laughs> um, but uh, but to, to kind of put the message out there to, to Instagram the animal welfare, the conditions of their their cattle, yeah. you know what they're doing on the farm, really really push it and and help promote it to the general public. Really, yeah, the, knowledge is everything. Every little s- slice or snippet of knowledge is uh, important because because there are so many people who just don't understand the dynamic of where their food comes from, and having having those facts available so if you are ever confronted being able to reel off some concise statements about alternative foods that are being eaten don't just argue about what you're doing wrong ask a question about the person who's asking you a question what well what about you mr perfect the the interesting one i talk about stats and well statistics generally um methane production was was one of them andrew wasn't it so uh, it's one of the interest the the arguments for it and sustainability we've we've come up with a little thought on this one haven't we there's an imbalance in the argument isn't there i think there is you, you were referring to the um, the methane production from the vegans as a result yeah, well, of the diet. Yeah, well, I think there's an opportunity for the government to actually start sampling or testing the amount of uh, methane produced by, by, vegans by vegans on their vegan diet. Because, oh, of course, I forgot, vegans don't fart, do they? They, they can't fart because, in fact, they're perfect. <laughs> but... <laughs> I think that's one of those things that, that in reality there is a counterbalance in the wind sense. Love it. Good Christmas Brussels sprout. <laughs> well, it certainly adds flavour. Uh, and certainly adds flavour to the air, doesn't it? On that, on that happy thought, what should we have for lunch, Ian? How about burger, Andrew? I don't know. I, I was thinking more along the lines of quinoa with um, cherry tomatoes. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.